How old were you when you realized that Twinkle Twinkle Little Star sounds exactly like the alphabet song? I'll give you a second. Yeah, it does. Same song. I don't know if you knew that. And if you didn't, there's, there's something now you know that maybe you didn't know before. We love singing, and we love singing songs that we know, that we're familiar with. And there's a reason why so many of our songs kind of share the same tune, because you just replace a few words in there, and you can sing a whole different song, because you already know how it goes. And we have some songs in our songbook, actually, that, that do that. They're based on a tune you already know, but they have words there that, that maybe you haven't sung before. And it's real easy to pick up those songs because you just read the words and you couple that with a familiar tune that you know. You'll know that as a, as a song leader, I love singing songs that fit together, like puzzle pieces, like one song leads into the next song, leads into the next song, and then launches into the sermon, which is totally supporting that same topic. I love to do that. I love to pick out songs that all play well together and that support a, a greater message. That's sometimes hard to do when you have lessons about homosexuality and, and gambling and things. We don't have songs like that. We don't have songs that talk about those things. But when you get a, when you get a sermon topic in there that you can just pick some songs that all play well together, it, it kind of makes the whole service just kind of fit together, if you know what I mean. And our song book is full of songs that all have similar themes to them. But you go back to the, the Children of Israel song book. You go back to the, to the Psalms, which was the, the Hebrew song book, really. And, and you go back there and you find so many common, repeated themes. And and I hope that as we're reading together in our Words of Wisdom reading plan, as we're reading through the book of Psalms, I hope what you're seeing is, is a consistent theme throughout there. You can, you can weave like threads in a, in a rug. You can weave themes from one psalm to another psalm, and you see how they all kind of fit together in some way. The Psalms is a, is a wonderful book. Actually, I don't know how much we've talked about it here at Monte Vista even recently, but, but the Psalms is, is awesome. The Psalms is actually made up of five separate books. The 150 Psalms that we have are really broken up into five separate books. And they don't have chapters like we typically think of the rest of the Bible having chapters. You're not going to go to, you're not gonna go to Psalm chapter 150, like, just like you wouldn't go in our songbook to, to chapter 227 to start singing. It's, it's its own individual piece. It's its own individual poem. It, it's, it's meant as a, as a standalone song. And that's what the children of Israel would sing. They would sing that as sometimes as they were going up into the city. They would sing that sometimes as they were going through a, a, a sad period in their lives, they would sing these songs really to, to teach each other, to reminisce, to praise God. They used the, the psalms just like we use our songbook today in a lot of ways. And just like our songs do, some of the psalms are woven together with similar, similar themes. 
And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at a particular pair of psalms that fit so nicely together and teach a really practical message. And in fact, we just read one of them. If you're keeping track with our reading plan, on Friday, you just read the first one we're going to consider, which is Psalm 111. Psalm 111 is where we just left off in our reading, and Psalm 111 launches into Psalm 112, and it's almost like they have the same tune. It's almost like they, they have the same melody. They're, they're so symmetrical. They're so similar in so many ways. And so this isn't going to be some sort of like pontificating, navel-gazing kind of lesson. These are practical psalms. What, what these two psalms teach us is so powerful. And I want, to, I want to study these things together this morning because I found in these two psalms something that really just opens my eyes and launches me forward. Just like the songs that we sing to each other in the New Testament, we read about how the songs we sing are useful for teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The, the, the teaching that we offer is not just here in the pulpit, not just in our Bible classes, but it's every time we open up our songbooks and sing to each other, we're teaching each other. And so let's look back to the Hebrew songbook to learn some lessons about God. And Psalm 111 is where we're going to start. But these two psalms answer a very important question. And this is where we're going to start off our conversation. They answer a very important question, and that question is, why do we study the Bible? Why do we study the Bible? You think about that for yourself. Why do you study the Bible? Why are you here this morning, gathered together with the rest of your brothers and sisters? Why are you here to listen to a message from the Word of God? Why are you doing that today? Why do you pick up your Bible through the week and read together with us these these? psalms and these proverbs that we've been reading all throughout this year. Why do you do that? Why were you involved in our recent gospel meeting? Why did you attend the 10 o'clock classes that we had over in the room? Why did you come here on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday outside of our normal Sunday assemblies? Why did you do that? Why do we study the Bible? And the answer, at least in part, is sort of a three-part answer, I think, in Psalm 111, verse 2, we find the first answer where he says, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. We have such a delight when we get to see what God has done in his work. Don't you love to read about the stories of how God interacted with his people in the Old Testament? Don't you love to read about the creation as we just got done studying in our Bible classes? Don't you love to learn about how God made everything and just kind of slow down as you read it and imagine what it must have been like to see God's power at work in the beginning? Don't you delight in knowing about God and knowing about what he's done and seeing all the greatness that that is revealed in his word. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. 
one of the reasons why we study the Bible is because it is a delightful reading. It brings us joy. It, it, it brings us awe and amazement as we just stop and consider what God has done. There are a lot of things that bring me awe and delight, and I, as I'm sure you have as well. And if you have a hobby, you probably are delighted by things that maybe aren't just solely found within this book. If you like to restore old cars, you might delight in learning about new cars, learning about old car parts. And you know, if you delight in baking, you probably love to just binge watch shows about baking or like get into the kitchen and start baking yourself. You probably delight in those things. As students of God's word, we delight in this book. We delight in learning about our God because great are the works of the Lord. No greater works have ever been done than done by the Lord our God. And so it starts because we delight in them. But that delight leads us somewhere because unlike a regular hobby or unlike a regular fascination that we might have, the delight in the Lord our God leads us somewhere. And that's found in Psalm 112, verse 1, the next psalm. Praise the Lord, which by the way, I should stop here. These two psalms, I said they were symmetrical. They start the same way. Notice 111 verse 1, praise the Lord. 112 verse 1, praise the Lord. They begin the exact same way. By the way, another delightful thing that I find in these two psalms, they're acrostic psalms. And if you're scratching your head, just ask Don what an acrostic psalm is. Really, you go, you go back to the Hebrew alphabet, and every line has another letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and it just goes alphabetically all the way down. Psalm 119 is another great example of, of that kind of acrostic uh, series. But, you know, it's just a way to, to, to remember the words of these psalms. So let's continue here. That was kind of a side point, sorry. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. See the delight there again? Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Unlike other hobbies, unlike other fascinations or interests, when we study God's word, we're not only delighted, but we're caused to fear. That's the second point. That, that delight in God and his works leads us to fear. And this isn't just a cowering fear. This isn't a, a fear that cripples us. This is a respect for God. This is, a, this is an honoring of God and his power. The more you see God's amazing power, the great works that he's done, it delights you, it brings you joy, but it also causes you to respect him. Because the creator of the universe created everything with just a word of his voice. And you can't create anything in the way that God created everything. And just think about how much we are caused to to bow before him. You see so many examples in God's word of, of people. You go to Revelation chapter 1, where John falls at the feet of Jesus. Jesus, his arguably best friend in the whole earth, he falls at his feet when he sees him there. Out of respect, out of, out of reverence. And we are also fear the Lord our God. And so why do we study the Bible? Well, it's because we delight in his commandments but that leads us to fear him and respect him. That leads us to have a, a genuine 
honor for the Lord our God. And then that fear leads us back to Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. That's why I call these two psalms practical pair of psalms. Because all those who practice it have a good understanding. We're not just studying the Bible like we're, like we're reading an instruction manual for a product that we'll never buy and that we'll never build. We're not just reading the Bible because it's some really carefully, craftily worded document. We're reading the Bible because we delight in it, because it causes us to respect and fear our God, and then we put it into practice. Then we adopt everything that we read about into our own life. Because we fear the Lord, we have skill and wisdom, and we practice it. That's why these things are practical. That's why studying God's word is not just an academic exercise. We are not just trying to win some Bible trivia game. We are trying to put these things into practice in our life, and that is why we study. That is, and I hope, as we talked about sort of at the, at the outset of the meeting last week, it is an opportunity for us to exercise. The more we sit and study, the more we can gain strength, the more we can take those things out into the world and do something about it, as Roger talked about in his lessons. Getting out there and doing something with it. So that's why we study. We study the Bible as we read about in these two Psalms because we delight in the Lord our God and his works, because we fear and respect him, and that fear causes us to become like God, to follow God and put those things into practice. And I kind of view this in the way that like, less than a, an employer or a, a, a dictator who would tell us what to do and command us to do things, this is less like that and it's more like, it's more like a child who follows every step that their, that their father does. You know, every, everything that they see their dad doing, they, they do that too. And I think that's, that's why the more we learn about God, the more we want to be like him. And so that's where we stop here, just for a second. And notice that Psalm 111 is all about God. Psalm 111 is all about the righteous and perfect, upright God. Psalm 112 is all about us. It's all about a righteous person. And so these two psalms are like puzzle pieces that fit together, and they lead one right into another. If, if I was leading these songs in a Hebrew assembly, I would sing Song 111 and Song 112, and we wouldn't have a break in between. We'd just roll right into the next song because they, they fit so nicely together. And so what do we learn about God and his great works? What do we learn about him that causes us to fear and want to adopt those things? There are three things in this psalm that I want to consider for the rest of the lesson. And then the lesson is yours. Really, three things that these psalms talk about that God has that we should put into practice in our own life as well. And so let's continue here. The first thing that we find in Psalm 111 is that God is immovable. 
God is immovable. Verse 3, full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. That's a familiar phrase that's used throughout the Psalms. His righteousness endures forever. But isn't it true? God isn't going anywhere. God is not going to just fade away out of existence someday. God is firm and stable and immovable. And we read also about that in verse 7 of Psalm 111. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He's faithful. He's just. He's not going anywhere. Imagine when God says something. There is not a shadow of a doubt that it will come to pass. There is not a shadow of a doubt that it can be trusted. When God says something, take it to the bank because it's absolutely trustworthy and he is absolutely immovable. If there is one thing that you see throughout your entire study of God's word, all the works that we see of God is that he is immovable. What he says goes all the time. And you can trust him. You can trust his character. His precepts are trustworthy. And that, don't you see that when you study God's word, how trustworthy he is? How much we can count on God. They are performed with faithfulness and uprightness. Everything God does is firm and immovable. This week, as we begin to read Psalm 112, notice how not only is God immovable, but we should become immovable like God. And that's what we see in Psalm 112. Psalm 112, verse 3, wealth and riches are in his house. Who is his? Who, who are we talking about? Blessed, go back to verse 1, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Psalm 112, remember, is all about us. So the his there is talking about us. So let's read that again, verse 3. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. That feels a little bit maybe close to blasphemy, doesn't it? When you start reading it. Because didn't we just say that God's righteousness endures forever? And now we get to Psalm 112 and we find out that the righteous man's righteousness endures forever. The one who fears the Lord God, his righteousness endures forever. You, when you fear the Lord, when you study about him, when you honor and respect him and practice the things that he has called you to practice, your righteousness endures forever. That's pretty impressive. It's pretty amazing to think about how you can be immovable like God is immovable. Let's go down to verse 6 of Psalm 112. For the righteous will never be moved. I think that this helps make the point even more. The righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. You look over the last couple of years that we've existed as believers of the Lord our God in this country, in this world that we've lived in. He is not afraid of bad news. 
Isn't that just a breath of fresh air? Doesn't that just fill you with joy to know that when you fear the Lord our God, you don't have to be afraid of bad news. You don't have to look in fear and terror over all the uncertainty and all the things that are happening because the righteous will never be moved. If you stand strong in the Lord your God, you can be immovable like he is immovable. Think about this when I think about certain people in the church. You know these people too. You know that if if I weren't to see brother or sister so-and-so on a Sunday morning, you know that my first thought wouldn't be, are they spiritually sick? Are they, are they falling away from the Lord? Because you know them well enough. You know them so well that you know, oh, that would never happen to them. They're immovable. They're rocks. And your first thought isn't, are they falling away from the Lord? Your first thought is, the freeway exploded. <laughs> something, like something had to have happened that stood between them and the entrance of the building. Like you know that they're immovable that they're rock solid, they're dependable. And there are some people you know that if you don't see them on a Sunday morning, you get, start getting worried just right away. And maybe that's not a thought that you have, but I, I'm not in our elders' heads, but I can imagine that our elders probably have these thoughts from time to time. And that's their job to have those thoughts. So thank you for having those thoughts. But for all of us, I think we need to consider how immovable are we? How rock-solid and faithful and dependable are we? Are we afraid of bad news? Is our heart firm? Do we trust in the Lord? Is our heart steady? Or are we just filled with fear and always at the risk of falling by the wayside? And so as we think about God and the way that he is immovable, we need to be immovable like God. But then we continue. In Psalm 111, we find out that God is merciful. God is merciful. In verse 4, he caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. The Lord is gracious and merciful. In fact, in verse 9, it says, he sent redemption to his people. He commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. He bought back his people. He redeemed them. He saved them. He is gracious and merciful. He didn't have to save us. He didn't have to send his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. As we're going to consider at the Lord's table in a little bit, God didn't have to do that. But he did it because he loved you and me. He's gracious. He's merciful. And praise God that he is that way. And as you read through, as you study through God's word, you find so many times his grace and mercy on full display. How the whole time he was leading us to the salvation of all mankind through his son Jesus. And through that, through that great plan that weaved its way through time, we see the power that we can be saved from our sins. And praise him for that. But then you get to Psalm 112, and you find out that we should become merciful like God is merciful. Psalm 112, verse 4. Again, it's like the symmetric version of Psalm 111. Verse 4, light dawns in the darkness for the upright. 
He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. Now we're not talking about God. Now we're talking about you and me. He is gracious and merciful. You and I are called to be gracious and merciful like God is gracious and merciful. Now you can start to see why I was talking about a, a child who's imitating their father. As you start reading verse, Psalm 111, you start learning about who God is and you start finding yourself following in his footsteps and becoming like him in his mercy, in the fact that he is gracious and mercy. And sometimes for all of us, grace and mercy don't come easily because we're, we're self-focused, we're self-centered sometimes. We put ourselves in front of other people's needs. And if we're gracious and merciful like God is gracious and merciful, we should be giving people the benefit of the doubt. We should be not expecting anything from someone else. Blessed are the merciful, Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount. And so many times, if we are unwilling to show mercy to someone else, God isn't going to be willing to show us mercy in the judgment. We need to be merciful like the Lord our God is merciful. And that, that takes compassion. It takes love. It takes open eyes and open ears to be able to help and support other people. And to just put ourselves last, to humble ourselves and lift up others, and to do the things that are helpful and needful for them. You and I every day have opportunities to be merciful to others. And the Lord God has shown us the perfect pattern about how to be merciful, how to be gracious, how to give ourselves for other people. And if we follow his path, as we study about him, as we fear him, as we put into practice the things we learn about him, then the world is going to see us as a merciful people, as a people who aren't harsh, who aren't trying to break people down, who aren't trying to burden people, but who are trying to point people to Jesus Christ, whose yoke is easy and his burden is light. And so let's, let's remember that we should also be merciful as well. And finally, Psalm 111 teaches us that God is generous. God is generous. Verse 5, Psalm 111. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. Verse 6. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. God blesses his people with food. He blesses his people with, it, with the inheritance that he's promised to them. You go back to Abraham, and you go back to the promises that God made to Abraham, and all the wonderful things that God laid out before Abraham... Was God being stingy with Abraham? Was he like, was he microdosing his, his blessings out to him in, in small little portions? Or was he just dumping it all on Abraham's plate? That's absolutely what, what we see there. Look up to the stars in the sky. The number of stars that you see is going to pale in comparison to the number of descendants that you're going to have, Abraham. God is generous. He doesn't hold back in his giving. He cares about the needs of his people. And you know where we're going. Psalm 112 teaches us that we should be generous just like God is generous. Psalm 112, verse 5, the psalmist says, It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs, 
his affairs with justice. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends. By the way, a lot of commentators will look at Psalm 112, and they'll point to this as being the, the sort of mirror image of Proverbs 31, but for men. There's a lot of similarity here between this psalm and Proverbs 31, talking about the, the righteous woman. But we see here how we, as a righteous, God-fearing person, should be generous and lend to others. Verse 9, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. There it is again. His horn is exalted in honor. We don't hold back. Just like God has not held back his blessing over us, we don't hold back either. If there's anything that we should be called, it is liberal. That is a four-letter word for us sometimes, I think. I think that, that, that's kind of a negative connotation a lot of times when we think about being liberal. No, 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 no. I want to be conservative. Hold on. I need to be liberal. I need to be generous. I need to not be holding back. In the, in the standpoint or from the standpoint of my gifts and my giving and my support of the needy and the, the lost around me and all of those who, who I can help, support in this world, I need to be liberal. Like God has been liberal with me in his blessings, in his provisions over me. Can you be more liberal in the good, godly kind of way? Can you be more giving? Can you be more generous? Can you be the kind of person who deals generously with, with others and lends? Or is everything yours and you're holding on to it with a white knuckle? Is everything yours and you're so afraid of losing it? I, I don't know why this thought just continues to, to run through my mind as I'm thinking about these sermons, but when God called his people to lay down everything as a sacrifice for him, that's powerful. It puts us last. It puts us below. It puts God up above. And everything we do is, is for his glory. We look out not only for, for God and, and the service we can offer him, but we look out for the lost around us. We look out for the needy around us. And we see that in the life of Jesus. We see that in Jesus' teaching. And we need to see that in our own lives. As we try to be more and more like God, the more we study about God, the more generous we become, the more we give of our time and of our attention and of our resources, the more we just lay it all out there and say, I don't need the time for myself. I need to give it for the work of the Lord. And so are we generous like God is generous? And as, you're, as I hope you're seeing in these two Psalms, it's beautiful really the way that they both fit together. How they teach us about God and how they teach us about how we follow God, how we adopt the character of God. And so we can all become like God in his immovable nature. We can all become like him in the way that we are merciful and gracious and in the way that we share with other people. The more you study about God, the more you sing these songs, the more you think about his amazing works, the more you respect him 
and the more you want to be just like him. And if you're not like the Lord God today, if you've fallen short of his direction, his instructions, then today is the day that you can get back on the path. Today is the day that you can begin a journey, if you haven't already begun it, to start following him. Through his son Jesus, through his death on the cross, repenting of your sins, confessing your belief, your faith in Jesus, getting in that water, being baptized for the remission of your sins, and then beginning the journey to study and to grow and to mature into a godly person, a person who reflects the image of God out into this world. If you're ready to begin that journey this morning, please come as we stand and sing.